Hey, welcome to Church Online here at Soul Sanctuary. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here at Soul. And today we are back in our series titled From a Friend. It is a journey through the book of 1 Corinthians as the Apostle Paul writes a letter to his friends to the church in Corinth. Now, our passage today, it comes from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 16. So get open your Bible or, you know, if you're watching on church online, you know, this Bible should be uh, next to the chat column on the side. Uh, get out the scriptures. Let's open it up. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 6 to 16. Get out your notebook because we're about to learn some things together from our scripture. Uh, remember back to last week, kind of setting the scene for where we're going, that Paul just established with the Corinthian church uh, that, that his message of, of Jesus that he's sharing is plain and simple. You know, he doesn't need to dress it up. He doesn't need to make it fancy in order to give it because it's already a fancy message. It's a life-changing message. It, it's a beautiful message. And Paul doesn't need to hype it up. Uh, he, his wisdom in which he speaks is not a human wisdom, but it's a profound spiritual wisdom. It's simple yet profound. And we've all had a teacher who spoke in riddles, right? Like in high school, you know, that they loved the sound of their own voice. And the more that they spoke, uh, the, more, the more confused you were and tied in knots you were. But then you all had a friend who helped you decode it, right? The smart kid in class who had that 99 average. Uh, for me, it was in, in university statistics. And I can remember uh, studying stats. I um, just was never, excel, never excelled in math. And I went to class every day, but I felt like it was Greek to me. I, I just watched them talk about numbers, and I'd click my little eye clicker and get all the answers wrong. Uh, but two weeks before the exam, I bought this book, and it was like a study guide book. And it, the, 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 the writer of the book just taught it in this study guide. And so I'd open this study guide. I spent hours a day, two weeks before the exam, just, just relearning everything. But it was like, it was all decoded for me. It was made simple. It was made plain. It was made clear. And I think this is what the Apostle Paul has done. He has demystified. He has clarified the other Corinthian leaders who, who are talking about, you know, secret knowledge. And they're, 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 they're all uppity and, and they, they're using big words that nobody understands. Paul says, no, it's a simple yet profound and beautiful message. It is good news. So let's pick it back up together. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, right through to verse 16. Here we go. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul's talking about a hidden mystery. The, the hidden mystery, that is Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. What was once hidden, you know, God's redemptive plan for humanity through Jesus, is now completely on display, revealed through Christ. But none of the rulers understood it. You know, the Roman government in all of its grandeur and administration, they didn't understand who Jesus was. And the Jewish ruling elite, in all of their wisdom and knowledge, they didn't understand who Jesus was. Back to it, verse 9. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. And the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of 
God. Paul, he's coming up against the hyper-intellectualism of the Corinthian teachers, and he's saying, I don't need to paint it pretty. I don't need to dress this up to share it with you. Why? Because the message of Jesus, the good news of Jesus and his redemption for all of humanity is already a beautiful thing. The the message I'm sharing, Paul says, is not one that relies on the world's authority or power structures for validation. No, the Holy Spirit reveals this reality to those who draw close to him. Verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except for their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except for the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. God has given us knowledge and insight into his character. And Paul's breaking it down. This is a free gift for us. But if you want to understand this gift and if you want to grow in it, then you need the Holy Spirit to illuminate it to you. You can't come to a life-giving relationship with Jesus by hanging out in the self-help section at Chapters or Indigo. You know, you can't deepen your intimacy with God by just following the whims of our culture's dominant voices. It don't work like that. No, God has given us His Holy Spirit so that as we actively pursue the truth of God, we may come to understand Him in a way we could never have done by ourselves. Verse 13 to 16, Paul says, This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. This is just like 1 Corinthians 1. And cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Paul is saying that the things of God sound foolish to the world's ears. This is just like 1 Corinthians 1, man. He is just making the point. He's driving it home. But inversely, Christians can come to a deep knowing, a deep understanding of God because, as Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ so that we might come to know God as revealed to us by the Holy Spirit who leads us and guides us into deeper things of Him. So, let's sink our teeth into this a little bit. Paul preaches that simple message of good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ. No persuasive words, no cunning, no human wisdom. He preaches by the power of the Holy Spirit the message that Jesus died on a cross for the forgiveness of sins, that that Jesus rose again, that he ascended into heaven, and that through Jesus, humanity can be reconciled unto God. That's the simple gospel that Paul is communicating. Now, verse 6, it shows us what Christian, that, that what Christians believe is distinctly different from the wisdom of this age and from the rulers of this age, from the knowledge and power of society. Paul identifies an age-old problem. It's that we often look to the wisdom of the rulers of this age to save us. 
but were always let down by them. I mean, Paul knew that the Greeks looked to the academy as the source of all knowledge, as the source of all truth, right? But he knew, and he's breaking it down for them. He's like, guys, nothing but the Holy Spirit can rightly orient you in this life. No, 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 no philosophy can rightly orient you. You know, no, 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 no knowledge, no, no secret knowledge that some of these weirdo teachers can rightly orient you. No, it's only by the power of the Spirit can you come to know God. And I think in our day and age of, of popular or, or of polarized politicking and, and of social media activism, the task for the Christian is to remember that the wisdom which they are to base their life off of comes about through relationship with God. And it's brought about through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and it's illuminated to their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, Paul tells the Jews in the Corinthian church, he's like, look at what your beloved religious structure did to Jesus, right? They failed to recognize him as God, and they put him to death. And then, and then Paul, Paul tells the Gentiles, he's like, look at what your beloved political system did to Jesus. They didn't recognize him as God, and what did they do? They put him to death. The rulers of this age cannot and will not save you. I think in, in North America, we're like, but we have democracy now, you know? Like, uh, our system is so much different than the authoritarian, authoritarian Roman rulers. Yes, but I think sometimes we kid ourselves, like, um, the wisdom of this age won't save you. The powerful rulers of this age won't save you. I had a, a professor, um, his name Dr. Robert Dean, and he noted in class there was this big, whatever, political conversation going on. And he, he just like stopped and everybody chilled out, looked over, and he was like, the great democratic moment of the Bible is when, when the crowd chose to crucify Jesus and release a prisoner. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. The rulers of the age can't save us. On, on the other hand, there are those who believe that, that ardent activism will lead to a more just and fair society, right? They're obsessed with speaking truth to power. But Paul says, careful, be careful. This worldly wisdom is not to be a guidepost for your life. Or ultimately, in light of eternity, all of your acti- after activistic efforts are in vain. In light of eternity, if, if you lose focus of the wisdom that comes from the Spirit, the source of all truth. The point is this, put succinctly, the idols of wisdom, the idol of power, neither of them can withstand the weight of your expectations. Hear me closely. The idols of wisdom and power cannot withstand the weight of your expectations. Augustine, in City of God, he talks about the fact that Christians have a dual citizenship. They have an earthly citizenship, right, here on earth, but they also have an eternal citizenship with God. And their earthly citizenship is temporary. But, but while temporary, it still comes with it both rights and responsibilities. There are responsibilities, uh, civic responsibilities, that we participate in, right? Uh, we... we live in this life, and we have, we have duties that come along with this life. You know, we're not, to, we're not to live with our minds off in the clouds as Christians. No, we're, we're connected to the here and now. So, so your earthly citizenship has duties, has responsibilities. But any effort, any effort 
in this life that is divorced from the power of the Holy Spirit, it ultimately ends up as a perversion of God's good gifts to humanity. Anything that we do uh, on our own power, neglecting who God is, it ends up perverting what God intended for good. God is the source of all truth. And I mean, and when divorced from him, the activist who seeks justice becomes the oppressor. When, when divorced from God, the politician promoting equality becomes the tyrant. And the pastor promoting generosity, he becomes a swindler. The person trying to live a good life just becomes a slave to themselves. Here's what it comes down to for you and for me. You can live your life according to the wisdom and rulers of this age, or you can live your life according to the cross. And maybe you're, you're watching and you're still figuring out this whole Christianity thing. Let me break it down for you in another way. Um, I was listening to a podcast this week, and uh, Tim Keller, uh, who's a Bible teacher, pastor, um, he said this. He said that Christianity is the only identity that is received and not achieved. Christianity is the only identity that is received and not achieved. It's received because of how Jesus lost his glory. He lost his power. He lost his privilege. He died on a cross for, for the penalty of your inhumanity towards your neighbor and towards God. And for my inhumanity towards my neighbor and towards God. And because of that... When I believe in him, I find my righteousness in Christ and I receive God's true and merciful yet just love. And just, just and perfect love. My identity in Christ is an arms wide open kind of love. It's a welcoming reality that doesn't exclude anyone. Keller goes on to make this point. Every other identity is achieved. The labels and titles that we give ourselves in the area of politics, vocation, gender, spirituality, every other area must be achieved by our own striving and merit. And they will ultimately come into conflict with and push up against ultimately excluding others. For example... I mean, you might have an identity based on being an open-minded, justice-centered person, right? Uh, but if that's you, you will come to despise the bigots, right? You'll boast, bolster your sense of self by being like, thank, thank God I'm not like those people. Your identity, it, it finds its assurance in the fact that you're not the terrible person that you're up against. Like, thank God I'm not like the tax collector, I'm doing okay because I'm not a horrible person. But within a Christian framework, a received Christian identity, you don't have to do that. You know, you don't, you don't have to compare yourself to somebody else. In fact, you won't do that. The Christian identity says, yes, I am a sinner. And I recognize that I cannot save myself and that I deserve nothing but judgment. I mean, that is a lowly place that I have to remember to keep my heart in check. That's who I am. But the Christian identity also says, I have received forgiveness by the grace of God, and I, have, I am loved more than I dare hope. And that is a high position worth our greatest degree of thankfulness. This is what the Christian identity does. It's the enormous equalizer. That it doesn't matter if you are rich 
or poor. You have low position and you have high position. That, that you are a sinner who can't save themselves, but that you have received the grace of God and that now you are united with him in right relationship. It's the enormous equalizer, and there is nothing compared to accepting the reality of who you are in Christ, who God says you are. Paul makes it clear for the Corinthians that the cross of Jesus confronts the idolatry of power and wisdom, but at the same time, it offers power and wisdom. In, in Christ, there is true wisdom as revealed by the Spirit. It's a spiritual wisdom. It's not, it's not a wisdom of this age that Paul's been, been um, railing against. It's true wisdom. I mean, you want wisdom. Here's how to do it, he says. It comes by the power of the Spirit. And in Christ, there is true power and authority. And in Christ, this power and authority that you have as a follower of Jesus is modeled in Matthew 25 when, when Jesus tells his disciples, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is like, you want power and authority? In my kingdom you can have it. But guess what? It looks different than the power and authority of the rulers of this age. The, Jesus is he's saying, you know, that the Gentiles, lord, the, 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 the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord their power and authority over them. He's probably talking about Roman power structures, right? He's like, they crush those underneath them. That is the power that they have. That is the, that is the, the, the iron stick or iron rod that they govern with. But not so with you, follower of me, of Jesus, but I'm being Jesus talking. Not so with you, follower of Jesus. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great, become a servant. That is true power in the kingdom of God. Become a slave to all. Modeled after who? I mean, Jesus here, he's foreshadowing his own death, right? Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Hey, if you're seeking wisdom and power, the fact is, is that Christ fulfills that desire, but he does so subversively. When you put him first, he transforms your loves. Okay, look to verse 12. We have not received the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God. Why? That we might understand what God has freely given us. Okay, verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord? But we have the mind of Christ. Paul, in Ephesians uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 17, he prays a prayer over the church in Ephesus. And this is what he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, might give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you might know him better. Step one on all of our spiritual journeys and step one in our mission here at Soul Sanctuary is for people to come to know God. For people to come to know God. See, coming to know God is a moment in time, but it is also a process. 
There comes a time where we must respond to the message of Jesus, to the good news of Jesus. That moment where we accept him, we come to know God. We enter into relationship with him. But knowing God is a process in so much that it's a lifelong journey of revelation by the Holy Spirit where we grow in our understanding, where we grow in, in, in wisdom. You know, we come to understand his character. We, we come to the, the point of transformation of our own character. Like any relationship, in our relationship with God, it's a process where we deepen our knowing. But it saddens me. I, I know that, that in the Western church, man, we've neglected the importance of the process of knowing God. We've chalked it up to a moment, and we said, a boom, you're a Christian. Now go on living your life. As opposed to, boom, you're a Christian. Now, now what does that process of maturation look like? We've forgotten what it means, I'd argue, to have the mind of Christ. In Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? What does Jesus reply? He says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. We have learned in our society, uh, in, in, in Christ, Christianity in the West, I think we've learned to love God with our heart. Maybe we've learned to love God with our soul, but we definitely haven't learned to love God with our minds. Let, let me paint it clearly here. How many of you know that what you feel isn't always real? Right? What you feel isn't always real. That there are objective realities that will confront your subjective interpretations of things. Case in point, this last Saturday, last Saturday night, not last night, the, the night before, um, Laura and I were getting ready for bed, and I'm leaving the bedroom. I'm going to go like fill up my water bottle. And she calls me from the bed, and she says, Hey, Jordan, can you toss me your phone? I'm like, Yeah, of course. So I grab my phone out of my pocket, and I kind of throw it like a Frisbee onto the bed. Now, at the point of my phone leaving my hands, I did not feel like I threw my phone hard. Okay, I didn't feel. It was like, that's like a little like saucer pass, you know, just like a little, I feathered it over to her. But then all of a sudden, as my phone traveled through the air, getting closer and closer and closer towards my wife, I was met with the reality of the situation. Because I heard the hard plastic of my cell phone case contact my wife's teeth. And, and for a moment, I just froze because I was like, man, I, I didn't feel like I threw it hard. Like, I thought, I thought it was just like a, whoo, ha, whoo, like a feather blowing in the wind. And so I was dumbfounded, and, and I quickly made my way over to the bed and, and to check on her. And she, oh, I mean, bless her heart, bless her soul. She is so kind, gentle, and gracious towards me. She looked up at me, and in just like the, the softest, nicest voice, she was like, it hit my teeth. But as soon as she started speaking, I just watched blood start pouring down her lips, okay? No word of a lie, blood pouring down her lips. Now, if I was a feelings kind of guy, which I'm not, but if I was, and, and I, you know, I felt like I threw it, threw it softly and it, it landed on the bed. If I was a feelings kind of guy, I would have gone, just filled up my water bottle, hit the hay, turned over, good night, sweetie, right? But no, the, the, the objective reality of my present circumstance, my wife's mouth pouring blood on the bed, 
Uh, it, it, it made me, I had to go get some tissues, you know? We had to stop that bleeding. And then, and then I told her not to look at it because there was a deep hole in her lip. I had to go get an ice cube so she could, you know, help reduce the swelling. It didn't matter what I felt in that moment. It doesn't matter what I was feeling, how, how I perceived the situation. There was blood on the bed. Okay. <laughs> Back to the notes. In the church, we do well when it comes to feelings, right? We like to talk about our feelings. We like to validate each other's feelings. We do emotionalism. We do experience really well. We talk about verses like being, or like having the mind of Christ here in, in, in 1 Corinthians. We're like, okay, have the mind of Christ. Well, you know, Christ was probably a positive thinker. And if Christ was a positive thinker, then all I need to do is internalize some positivity right now, think positive, and maybe I can dig myself out of the hole I dug. Which is completely erroneous. Like, it's not even close. I mean, if you wonder why, uh, maybe you, you, you've grown up in church and you've seen this happen. You know, kids go to summer camp, right? They go to summer camp and they have an incredible experience with Jesus. Like a life-shaking uh, experience. But then two weeks later, they leave camp and they can go back to living as if God doesn't exist. Why is that so? In the Western church, we've leaned so heavily on experience. We've doubled down on experience. But, but we've never connected experience with Scripture. You know, we've never connected experience to history. We've never connected, hear me, experience with reason. It was once that the Christian faith was at the center of culture in the West. You know, the first universities in medieval Italy, they started by teaching students law and theology. Nearly every university in Western history has started with Christian roots. Because being a Christian has never been being, a, uh, ne has never been being about uh, just accepting things uncritically or accepting what's been spoon-fed to you. No, being a Christian has been uh, about honest questioning and honest controversy. It's been about learning the intricate details of our world that God has created. I mean, it's been about being a part of something that's bigger than you. Relief of the poor has always been a responsibility of the church. I mean, even modern welfare legislation, it's administered by the government, but it comes out of the moral responsibility Caring, uh, of caring for the poor, which is a uniquely Christian social teaching. Hospitals. Hospitals were founded by religious orders, Christian orders of monks and nuns. Economic institutions, they grew out of the practices of the church. You know, the, the popularization of double-entry bookkeeping, where you have a line of credits and a line of debits for all you accountants, right? Attributed, the popularization of it is attributed to a Christian monk. Man, like Christians for century, centuries have been making a difference in the world. You know, Christians have been intellectuals who have shaped the course of human history. They've used their minds to reason effectively and to learn. But in the last 100 years, Christians have lost their seat at the table. You know, we've lost our seat in the academy. We've lost our, our seat in the cultural conversations of this time. I mean, on a popular level, Christians are relegated to the upper decks. 
you know, with all the quacks who have nothing positive to contribute to society. Augustine, okay, so he's a church father, and what was he first of all? He was a teacher of rhetoric. And he said this, that the soul grows by learning. The soul grows by learning. I mean, Christians have such a bright history of intellectual thought. A history of knowing God through creation, through art, through history, through culture, through literature, through science, through mathematics. A history of using our minds to come to know God. The height of Christian influence today, the height of Christian influence, sadly, is spreading overtly politicized and poorly researched conspiracy theories on Facebook. Listen closely. If you spend more time, or over the course of this last week, if you spent more time reading about corona conspiracies than you did in your life group, reading your Bible, or praying with your family, then your idol is the wisdom of this age. And you're in need of repentance. The Christian is aware of what's going on politically. Of course, they participate actively as they should. They're citizens of this earth. But their mind isn't wrapped up in civilian affairs. Their mind is on how they can serve the Lord. We could lose our tax-exempt status as a church tomorrow. We really could, right? And I mean, I would put my name on the petition to fight it. But it wouldn't be a hill I died on. I wouldn't lose my mind. Rather, I would take confidence in the fact that, that, I'd only, that, 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 that it would only make the church stronger. You know, I doubled down my efforts to bring hope and healing to this nation by the power of Jesus Christ and his good news. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Yo, Christian, listen to that. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You want to know what God's will is? Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Look different. Put Christ first. And then you will be able to test, to discern, to know what God's will is. His good, perfect, and pleasing will. Okay, verses 10 to 16 of 1 Corinthians 2. They call us to walk this narrow path between the swamps of hyper-intellectualism and anti-intellectualism. And then we have to ask the question, why does this even matter? Why does this even matter? This matters because of our mission as the church. If people are going to come to know God, right? If people are going to come to know God through the work of Soul Sanctuary, then we need more than good production value. You know, we need more than free coffee when we meet physically on Sundays. We need to have the mind of Christ. Not just appealing to the feelings or to experience. No, we need, we, we need to appeal to reason. We need to show that, that yes, the Christian life offers you something that no other way of living does. We, we, we need to be able to say, no, the way of God is not oppressive. You know, it's not nonsensical or outdated. It's not tyrannical. And while it won't make sense to the minds of those who have actively rejected it, just like Paul says, it will transform the lives of those who come to accept it, who lean into it, who lean into God and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
we must be embracing the mind of Christ. Keeping ourselves from conforming to the world, but being renewed daily in the reality of who Jesus is. Not abandoning our ability to study, to reason, to learn, but leaning into it. Why? For the sake of the kingdom of God. The vision that God gave Pastor Jerry for this church community over 16 years ago was that this will be a place of spiritual refuge, repair, and rejuvenation for all people. That's a big vision. And if we're going to be a place of refuge for the hurting, then we need to go out and find hurting people, right? I mean, if we're going to be a place where people uh, are repaired by the power of the Holy Spirit, they're going to have experiences. I mean, I know some of your stories. I know the experiences that you've had of God touching you, of, uh, of your heart being transformed. But then what do we need to do as a church? We need to be able to, to back that up with reason. We need to be able to back that up with Scripture. We need to back that up with the, the tradition and history of the church. How does our experience, how do we make sense of it? And if people are going to find repair, then that needs to take place here. It needs to take place in our life groups, in our interpersonal relationships with one another. And finally, if people are going to be rejuvenated, then we need to be ready to, to equip them and release them to fulfill their God-given destiny. I mean, if we want to change society for the good of God's kingdom, then it starts with changing the one. I mean, it starts with influencing the influencers. We should be running to the universities and not away from them. You, oh Christian, you have the mind of Christ. So put it to good use. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the simple gospel. That you love the world enough to send your son to die for the forgiveness of our sins. That three days later, he was raised from the grave, and that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life with you. I thank you that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we've been given an understanding of Jesus. That, it, that, that, that an understanding that's sufficient to save us. We know that, that the wisdom of this age and the rulers of this world our idols that keep us distracted. So we ask you to continually remind us of where our hope is to be fixed. I pray for those who don't know you, that your words will impress upon them and they may come to know you, almighty God, Lord of all things. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Just like Pastor Jordan said, Christians must remember that spiritual wisdom comes about through relationship with God, brought about through the sacrifice of Jesus, and is illuminated to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That the first step in the mission of our church is that people may come to know God, and if people are going to come to know God, we must be willing to engage, showing the world that the Christian life offers a way of living that worldly wisdom and the rulers of this age could never imagine. If you'd like to take the first step in your spiritual journey this morning and come to accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior of, of your life, we want to come alongside you. Let's pray a simple prayer together. Dear God, I know that I am a sinner and there is nothing I can do to save myself. I confess my complete helplessness to forgive my own sin or to work my way to heaven. At this moment, I trust Christ alone as the one who bore my sin when he died on the cross. I believe that he did all that will ever be necessary for me to stand in your holy presence. I thank you Christ was raised from the dead as a guarantee of my salvation and life together with you. 
As best I can, I now choose to put my trust in him. I'm grateful that he has promised to receive me despite my many sins and failures. Father, I take you at your word. I thank you that I can face this life and the next knowing that you are my savior. Thank you for the assurance that you will walk with me through the difficult times. And thank you for hearing this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed this prayer, we want to celebrate your decision to follow Jesus. Our team wants to come alongside you in this new journey. There's a link in the chat where you can respond and our pastoral staff will contact you. Now, in ancient times, the one who blessed extended their hands for a blessing and those who wished to receive a blessing did likewise. Here is Pastor Jordan for the blessing. In times of old, the one who blessed would extend hands and those receiving the blessing would do likewise. So no matter where you are right now, I don't care if you're watching on your cell phone, your iPad, your tablet, who cares? If you want a blessing this morning, would you extend hands with me? Soul Sanctuary, as you go, go confidently, assured that your salvation is in Jesus Christ. Go reliant, remembering that the Holy Spirit leads you and guides you. Go boldly, remembering that you have the mind of Christ. And go humbly, remembering your call to serve others. Finally, simply go for the sake of others coming to know God. Be blessed, and we'll see you next week.